What's up, everybody? Welcome to Draft Chaff. This is episode number 88. My name is Zach. I'm one of your hosts. And joining me, as per usual, Ben Fisher. How's it going, dude? It's going. Uh, Kamigawa is... Wait a minute. Hold on. You know what I just realized? I, I said, uh, within like two seconds of, of my initial starting the show. Uh, leave this in. I don't, I don't care. How could I do that? I, I've worked so hard to cut my uhs from the show. Listeners, uh, if you're out there, just just roast me for this one in the discord <laughs> i was gonna say cut this but honestly it's our brand not to cut this thing right <laughs> oh, it's it's making its way in there this will definitely be the final <laughs> cut good 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 uh honestly this will hopefully help me be a little more accountable it just uh, i just don't like the saying uh you know all right wh- whatever uh no <laughs> Awesome. Well, this week we are on to our Neon Dynasty first impressions. We kind of flipped the script this set and did our first impressions after the live draft. Hopefully you guys found that interesting or at least liked watching us fumble through doing our live draft early on like that. Um, Let us know in the Discord if that actually made a difference or it didn't come across as any different. Maybe we just fumbled through all of our drafts anyway. (laughs) Yeah, that one didn't uh, didn't end super well for me, we'll say. Well, before we get into our first impressions show here, we do want to take care of our usual housekeeping. So if you're not in the Discord already, check that out. The link to that is in the episode description as well as on our Twitter page. And we have all sorts of channels there. You've heard us rant about this week in and week out. We've got stuff for, of course, the new format, people posting their trophy decks and just talking about different picks and things. And this is an interesting format, so it's been great to have that kind of discussion. And if you want to support the show directly, check us out on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash draftchaffpod. Huge thanks to all of our patrons that continue to support us in our content creation each and every week. We are seriously beyond grateful for all of you and definitely recommend joining if you're interested. Perks over there include things like stickers, show notes, unedited recordings of the show, and our signed Draft Chaff Hero cards sent to you, as well as a few little things that were in the works on one of the sort of short-term goals that we had for the Patreon was to be able to do videos for our podcast episodes. And we've got some interesting stuff coming for that. Stay tuned for that. It's, it's hopefully going to be here in the not too distant future. So keep an eye out for those sorts of things. And we're sort of bringing our coaching back in terms of a private discord channel where we'll host sort of monthly office hours and answer questions. Folks can jump in and, and chat with us. And we'll go through drafts, we'll answer questions, all sorts of stuff like that. So again, check that out on Patreon if you're interested. Patreon.com forward slash DraftChaffPod. All right, Ben, we've got our crack draft type thing. We're in a new format. Walk us through it. Right. Let's do a pack one, pick one just to kind of get into it. Let's start off with Dismal Backwater. It's the blue-black Gainland. Gainlands are good. Gainlands are just good, right? Dismal Backwater is just a solid little land to have in any blue-black deck. I especially like it in Grixis Artifacts, where you really want those duels. Outside of green, where you don't have the splashing available uh, through things like the Greater Tanuki or uh, little other things here and there. Pretty high picks, but hopefully not the first picket. Yeah, I mean, they're pretty good, and it seems like the three-color decks in this format are actually fairly solid, and it almost seems like you typically want to end up in something closer to three colors than two colors in this format from what I've been able to tell. So these dual lands are great. The gain land part of it, like gaining life, I'm not sure is overwhelmingly relevant in this format. doesn't seem to be super aggressive, but yeah, they're great pickups. Obviously not something you're hoping to first pick just because it's a little boring, but they're serviceable. Yeah. The only deck that I have found not to really want splashes 
is blue black ninjas at least in my personal experience that one seems super streamlined you really want to be playing a one drop so that you can ninjutsu something on two and then maybe even recast your one drop depending on if it's a like moon circuit hacker or something overall yeah you, you want these next up automated artificer that's the two mana one three taps for a mana these things are annoying I don't think they're very good. You're not really going to be hard-pressed to find these and put them in your deck. If you're die-hard on artifacts and you just have utter junk, you can play this and you'll be happy that you have an artifact creature, but you really don't want to... This isn't <laughs> this isn't where it's at from what I found. Nothing to ramp into anyway. Next. Master's Rebuke, that's the one of the green uh, bite at instant speed. Deals damage from one of your creature's power to another creature's toughness. Uh, or, or Planeswalker. It can hit Planeswalkers too, which might come up eventually. Removal is weird in this set. So basically all the creatures are tiny. <laughs> but for the most part, creatures are relatively easy to kill. Rogues, nothing is bigger than like a 2-3 or, or nothing is greater than three toughness, uh, except the Dokuchi Silencer, I guess. So removal is still great. And I, I've kind of stress tested this. I've played some decks that have just very little removal, maybe one or two removal spells. And I found myself dying to my opponent's engine which is something I'd like to talk about a little more later. My, my opponents may be one great creature that's getting them tons of incremental value. So you definitely want these, but you don't have to, say, first pick Windmill Slam this over like a good uncommon creature or a good rare creature. Similar with Voltage Surge, which is up next. That's the one in the red uh, deal two to a creature or Planeswalker. And as an additional cost to cast that you can sack an artifact, if you do, it deals four instead. Again, a very strong removal spell. One mana deal four to a creature is no joke, especially when there's a lot of little artifacts to be sacrificed. However, again, you know, this isn't as important. A one-for-one one removal in this format doesn't work when your opponent is gaining, like, slight incremental values off of all their cards, which is, again, the trend that modern magic has been going towards recently. Up next, Scrapyard Steelbreaker. That's the three and a red for a three-four can pay one sacrifice an artifact and give it plus two plus one until end of term solid little common i like it it's kind of beefy you don't tend to have that many artifacts to sacrifice you usually would rather sacrifice into something else like an oni cult anvil but you know this thing can get in there it can it can threaten in the late game for sure yeah i'm really disappointed like i really want this card to have a keyword like trample or first strike or something yeah 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 and just on its face like with nothing added it just seems a little mediocre to sack your artifacts and sometimes your creatures to this effect it's fine but it, i mean it's a fine it's a solid common though next up you are already dead <laughs> which is just so cool that's the one black instant destroy target creature that was dealt damage this turn draw a card i have made this work a handful of times and when it works it is awesome notable things that this pairs really well with first strike double strike high toughness creatures that can attack and maybe get blocked and then not die so that you don't end up just kind of going two for two with your opponent or other little things maybe uh, uh setting up double block such that your larger creature deals lethal damage to one of theirs and then spills over a little bit onto the other one and then you can use this to finish off that other one and then go up a card the three for two i guess it has uses you're not tending to slam these, uh, but again, sometimes you'll just ram your little 1-1 one, one that already got ETV value into your opponent's 3-3, three, three, and you'll trade off, and it'll be pretty good. Yeah, a lot of things I'm noticing with the removal in this format is that they're rarely efficient. You're either dealing too much damage, or spending too much mana, or you have too much to set up. And in this case, for black, you know, we've got a one-mana removal spell that replaces itself, but there's some setup involved. Or you're, let's say you took this Master's Rebuke or, or Voltage Surge, pack one, pick one, you're spending your pack one, pick one on maybe a common that they took pack 
to pick 10 that they wield. Not that that has a ton of gameplay value, right? But there is a sense of if you're trading one of the best cards in your deck uh, on rate with one of their not so great cards that maybe they already got value, like the 2-2 Saga in white that, that's already flipped, it's already got the scry to the gain to, then you really feel behind. Speaking of sagas that have immense value, Okiba Reckoner Raid. One black, chapters one and two are both the same, drain your opponent from one, gain one. And then it flips into a 2-2 Menace, and I think it says Vehicles You Control of Menace, although I haven't had that one come up. This is just amazing. This card's awesome. Definitely taking it here out of the cards we've seen so far, and it's going to take a pretty good card to beat this. It's just so brutal. Picking it back up with a Rogue is nuts. Uh, trading it off and getting it back from the graveyard because it's an enchantment is nuts. You just wind up feeling so behind when your opponent plays this on one. It's a 1-mana 2-2 Menace, and it starts attacking sooner than you'd think. Yeah, a 1-mana 2-2 Menace that says ETB Drain 4, or dra Drain 2, rather. That That's pretty yeah. pretty incredible. Yeah, yeah, you can't cast it until turn three or whatever, but, you know, still awesome. I found Menace to be pretty effective in this format. There's a few other little things that, that have Menace floating around. Next up, Short Circuit. One in the blue, Aura, Enchant an Artifact or Creature. And it gets minus 3-0 as long as it's a creature. Oh, and it loses flying. I have not cast this. I do not plan on casting this. It has Flash if you want to cast it like an instant, but I just recommend not casting it. Next up, another one that I haven't actually gotten to hard cast yet. Mirror Shell Crab. That's the 5 blue blue 5-7. It's an artifact creature. It's a crab. Uh, I zoomed way in on the art, and I noticed there's actually a dude in there, like, riding a, a little kind of tank thing on top of the crab. I guess that's why it's an artifact creature. It's kind of like a modified tank crab. Pretty cool, objectively. It is Ward 3. You can channel it, pay 2 and a blue, discard it, counter a spell or ability unless its controller pays 3, and it's a 5-7. This thing is thick. So there's a, a small problem here. Most of the blue decks don't want to get up to this much mana. Uh, the Rogues deck in particular, and the Artifacts deck. The Artifacts and, and like the blue-green ramp deck, they can, and they, they certainly are okay with it, in which case this is a little more flexible, but does blue-green ramp really want a counter spell? Uh, does maybe ninjas really want a 5-7 for 7? I don't know. I don't think so. Yeah, this doesn't seem to fit too much into the blue-white decks either. I mean, they care about some artifacts, but this is really not what you want your top end to look like in that deck. I do really like that you can channel this to counter channel abilities. That can really yeah. get people. A lot of people or don't ninjutsu. recognize that it can do that. Or ninjutsu. So those are things to keep in mind with this card. And, you know, it's one of those nice little setups where it channels for cheap mana. You can cast it later if you happen to top deck it as you know, when you have seven mana or whatever on the board. But yeah, nothing I'm excited to take highly. I'd still probably be taking the, the Black Saga over this at this point. Like, it's not bumping that out. Definitely. Seven mana, five, seven, ward three is going to be the biggest thing on the board, though. That is massive in this format. Absolutely huge. It will dominate the battlefield. If you are in the market for something that's kind of okay early and pretty solid late maybe if you have a ton of i i think this probably go best in green right the blue green ramp where you'd yeah. have a bunch of the one mana one one death touches and that type of nonsense and oh yeah the high toughness and high power defenders yeah i guess this could be a, a win con if you're really dying for one next up light the way that's white for an instant you can choose one put one one counter on target creature or vehicle and untap it or return target permanent you control to its owner's hand they put one of these in every set, and they're never good. <laughs> like, nope. even how one mana spells have been kind of making a bit of a resurgence recently. This white effect of, like, returning a thing to your hand, this is tempo negative effect. It's it's just never really going to be. Yeah, the closest thing we've gotten to this being a good card was the one in Strixhaven that was one mana, put a 1-1 one -one counter on something you learn. 
and that was because it drew you a mm. card. <laughs> yeah. That's why it was yeah. good. In this set, you have modified being a thing that matters, and this card's still not good. Just don't play this. Yep, not in for it. Next up, a much better white common, Intercessor's Arrest. This is kind of our pacifism for the format. Two and a white, it's an aura, and chance of permanent. It can't attack, block, crew vehicles, and it's activated abilities can't be activated unless the mana abilities. Uh, you can't use this to stone rain your opponent, sadly, but you can use it to stop pretty much anything else. This shuts down artifacts, which is not something you tend to have happen. There's a few ways that you can have your, I don't know, 10 charge counter dragon spark reactor deactivated, which really sucks. This and Tamiyo's completion both do it, which is just so annoying. It's like you put all that work in, you got all these charge counters, whatever. It's, it's, it's a great card. But there are some problems with it. There's ways to bounce stuff. If you put this on, a, on an enchantment and then they geothermal commie it back to their hand, you feel pretty embarrassed. I'm probably still taking the Reckoner rate over this. Yeah, I would think so. I mean, it's a solid removal spell. It does deal with vehicles quite nicely. It, it, it does have a lot going on. But I think there's also enough in this format that, you know, people are main decking enchantment removal. You know, there, there is a lot going on that makes this card less effective in this format than it would be in a different format. And I think that's reason enough for me to try to stick to this other card that we know has really, really good uh, ceiling and a relatively high floor as well. So I'm still on the, the saga here, but this is a close second to me. Yeah, that wraps up our comments. I'm, I'm taking Okiva Reckoner Raid. Yep. Next up, Secluded Courtyard. This is the land where when it enters the battlefield, you get to choose a creature type. It can tap for colorless or tap for mana of any color to spend on that creature or an activated ability of that creature type. Pick them up for commander if you're <laughs> drafting in paper, but uh, I don't think this has really done anything. Sometimes I've had the opportunity to take this at not too much of a cost, like kind of midway through a pack. And then I just go and I check my creature types and there's like three humans, a bunch of spirits. That It's pretty widespread. I, I haven't loved this even as kind of a as fixing, which you do kind of want in this format if you are playing three colors. I don't know. It just seems like a bit of a dud for limited. The interesting part is that, like, in terms of fixing, the decks that could make good use of this don't want to splash a third color. I'm thinking things like Samurais and Ninjas. Yeah. And yeah. so you really don't need it in those decks which is unfortunate because otherwise it would actually be a pretty solid card. Yeah, that's true. This is an untapped land for ninjas, and you can use it to pay for ninjutsu abilities, I guess. That's pretty cool. Maybe if I happen to be deep into ninjas, I'd take this a little higher. Next uncommon is Web Spinner Cuff. That's tuned in green for 1-4 reach. And the quick creature gets plus 1, plus 4, and has reach. And it has reconfigured for 4. I just, I just don't like this Man. type of green card. <laughs> this is just not where you want to be. Green cards that don't attack are not my kind of green cards. Plus, reconfigure for four? Yeah, it's are you ever Are you ever doing that? Next up, Mobilizer Mech. That's the one in the blue 3-4 flying vehicle with crew three. And whenever it becomes crewed, you can crew something else. Yeah, I just I, haven't... I would absolutely this. take this. I would absolutely take this here. Uh, this really? deck, Yeah, I've seen this deck actually work pretty well, and this is a card that is kind of a linchpin in that deck. Interesting. I think I would take it here, and maybe it's because I haven't gotten to play the white-blue deck yet. I've just seen it played that I want to take it a little bit higher here, but I would take this. I mean, it's a two-mana 3-4 flyer that in those decks isn't hard to crew, and it gets all your it gets other vehicles online. Like, it just seems really solid for the decks that want it. Again, I think this goes up when you're already deep in the blue-white vehicles deck, but I haven't gotten to play with it yet, so on speculation, I would take it here. Yeah, that, that's fair. That's fair. 
I don't think I've cast it myself. I think I've seen it in play on my opponent's side, just sitting there, never being crewed, because it is crew three and it costs two. So, like, you're never, you're not doing this for a while, I don't think. What's the earliest you're actually kind of setting up, like, a big, massive attack with this? Maybe this and uh, Dragonfly Suit. And then, what are the odds you played a one drop that can crew this and then crew the Dragonfly Suit? Not too high. So, you're doing something with this latest or earliest, rather, turn four, five, six. Yeah, I don't so know. I, I've seen it come online on turn three. Uh, yeah, turn three. Oh, well, no, I guess actually it was it was turn four. Basically, blue has some ninjutsu stuff, right? So you can ninjutsu in a creature that is bigger using the ninjutsu effect. There's a um a three four I believe in blue that uh, does some oh. shenanigans when it hits opponents, but. Um, there are ways to turn this on relatively early. The other option is to play a handful of one drops. There's a, you know, the, the, the two in blue and white, the two one drop flyers, there's, you know, some mm-hmm. other things. Obviously it's not something that like is going to happen very frequently. You shouldn't really expect to get this online by turn three or four, but once it comes online, I think it's a big linchpin in the deck, especially in terms of like being able to crew multiple vehicles with one creature. Potentially. I think that's, that's pretty huge. Maybe I'm overvaluing it, but like I said, I haven't played the deck and it seems really exciting. So I, I kind of want to give it a try. Yeah, fair enough. I did really like prodigy's prototype. The one chance I got to put it in a blue white artifact based deck. The fact that it can just pump out one ones is a nice little, little baby engine. More on engines later. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tease this as, as much as I can. Now, our rare, March of Swirling Mist. That is the X in a blue. It's the blue march, so it has the usual march ability where you can exile blue cards from your hand to make it cost two less per each exiled. And it says, up to X target creatures phase out. Yeah, I'm not <laughs> thrilled about this card. Like, yeah. Not in limited anyway. It's fine, I guess, but I don't know. It just seems like meh. This is a blue instant that does not result in card advantage. Yeah, like it's gonna thing. take a lot for me to. <laughs> like I'm I'm already I'm already not really a fan of this to begin with. If I'm gonna put a blue instant in my deck, it better at least say draw a card on it, right? Like, yeah, I think I think realistically, I'd be taking the mech or the the uh, reckoner raid. But mm-hmm. I I think the actual correct pick is the reckoner raid. I would take the mech here because I want to try that deck out. Yeah, very fair. I'd probably slam the Reckoner Raid, but I would not fault you at all for <laughs> for trying to live the mech-driving dream. I just want to build a Gundam, you know? Like, let's do <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah. All right, on to our Teferi Tybalt. This is our Roses and Thorns style segment where Ben and I share a high and a low from the past week. Ben, how was your week, buddy? Let's see. Uh, it's been pretty solid. Had President's Day off here in the United States because uh, presidents, I guess. And I actually have Friday off because it's my birthday, well, yesterday for the listener. <laughs> so uh, I'm, I'm kind of having a nice short week and yeah, that, that's it. It's, it's been fun doing some fun experiments in class. We're dropping things out my window, which is on the third story of my school. So that's a good time. We, we, today we, we lowered a giant piece of yarn out the window to figure out exactly how far from the ground my window is. So that was, that was pretty entertaining. My students got a kick out of that because it's, it's also like, it's like 65 degrees today here, which is nice. It is, you know, the middle of winter still kind of, but like, I'm not going to complain. Global warming has its upsides, right? Well, we've got what, like two weeks before, maybe two and a half weeks until Puxatani Phil says spring can start, so I think Something March thirteenth like is is what they gave it this year. So I'm very curious. Those that are not American listeners, or even I don't even know Northeast Coast listeners, do y'all know what 
Groundhog, like Punxsutawney Phil. Are you all familiar with the the, the, the religion that is formed around this guy? <laughs> the, uh, the 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 meme of the groundhog. Like this this thing is nuts. This holiday is is bizarre beyond description. Just just look into it. Let us know. Anyway, the the tibble is that stuff's busy. You know, like I don't have much time to sit down and think. I've got some stuff going on this weekend. Hopefully, I still have time to run the arena open, which is coming up, which I'm very excited for. I'm going to try to squeeze that in through family birthday party plans and, <laughs> and that type of thing. Look, the chance to win a few thousand dollars, uh, especially on birthday weekend, you can't pass that up, right? A tip that I've been feeling this week is the pressure of a new set. Now, not, not to hate on, on anybody here for the amount of time they get to play Magic. If I could spend more time playing Magic, I would. But when I see people posting on Twitter, they're, they're like 10th or 12th trophy already. I'm like, man, Where'd you find the time for this? <laughs> like, you've all been playing nonstop since it came out. I'm jealous, but at the same time, as people that, you know, make magic stuff, it almost feels like we should be doing more, or it feels bad that I'm not, or that I'm not at that level. I have, I've barely had time to do 10 drafts. And then it's like, well, wait, did they just trophy all their drafts? Do I just suck? <laughs> like, uh, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a weird pressure, and it, it kind of collected in my head to the point where I had to sit back and say, no, like, this is a new set. It's funky. It's fun. Enjoy it. And, uh, you know, if, if the pressure gets to me, then I think I've lost the point of playing, right? Yeah, and the point of the show. I mean, we didn't do this to, yeah. to make it high-pressured or, or to be experts necessarily. So just, just yeah. Mm. Take, and if it makes you feel better, I've only done one draft this format so far. So <laughs> if you don't include the live draft, so... Yeah, you know, it, it's fair. all right. You take it at your pace. You'll find the time. I mean, we have a couple of months with the format still, so no need to rush it. We don't want to burn out too too quickly and uh, just, you know, get a couple weeks in and then never play the format again. So I right, just take your time mm, with it. Fair enough. What's new with you? So my Teferi this week is that I had a busy weekend, which I guess to some people wouldn't be a Teferi. But given that I typically have a very lackadaisical social life this was actually really nice for me let's see friday night i went to see a friend's play it was uh the play was fences i'm not sure i hadn't heard of it prior to seeing it but um i don't know it's it's well i actually don't even really know how to describe what it's about um but it's set in the 50s it in some capacities about social injustice and it was a phenomenal play there's a movie based on the original play starring denzel washington he also starred in it on broadway uh, but it was a really good play. It was really cool to see my friend act. And I met up with a whole bunch of friends for dinner beforehand. So that was really fun. Saturday, I did an escape room with a different group of friends. That was also really fun. Big fan of escape rooms and puzzles and all that kind of stuff. So that was really great. And then I was invited really last minute to an impromptu game night on Sunday with a different group of friends. So it was really good. It was just a very busy nice. weekend and lots of just busy in all the right ways. So I, I was really happy with that. Then... My second Teferi is that this is actually, I guess, an upcoming Teferi, but I booked a massage for the first time in like a bajillion years mm. and I really need it. My back is moving into my Tybalt. My back is killing mm. me and has been for a little while. So I'm really excited to get a massage and hopefully it will help. In my experience, they they tend to make things slightly worse at least the day of <laughs> you know when you get all those knots worked out sometimes you actually end up in more pain than when you got there but we'll see how it goes and then my other table is that i've been i'm running on a fumes and i have been for the last few days i have not been sleeping so hopefully that changes here in the near future but uh yeah looking forward to sleeping again all right on to our listener question of the week this is a question from andy and if you're interested in submitting questions for listener of the week, listener question of the week 
go into our Discord. We have a listener questions channel there where you can submit those and we grab all of our questions from there. So this week's question is from Andy, as I said, and Andy asks, specifically at Ben, you mentioned astronomy class in a previous episode and moreover horoscopes. This is not meant to be offensive, but as a scientific person who I respect, can you explain how a horoscope isn't just made up gobbledygook? <laughs> like, dependent on the month I'm born in, change my personality, question mark? I've never looked into it because I've always thought it was a bit silly, but am I missing something? I am so excited to hear your, your take on this, Ben. All right. First of all, I'm honored to be, in any sense, a person that anyone respects. So thanks, Andy. You're the best. <laughs> but I actually once had a really similar conversation. I asked a very similar question of one of my professors. I was at a class for my grad school uh, working on my, my physics ed master's. And there were other students and other science ed programs in the class. So my physics friends and I were sitting in the class. The bio uh, ed majors, they're all sitting over off to the side and they're all talking about their horoscopes, talking about how like they're using it to make decisions and like, you know, they're kind of just joking around with it. But, you know, we're all physicists, you know, classic, classic us, we're just rolling our eyes. The next day, all of us in the physics, the next day, all of us in the physics cohort, we had a meeting. And while we're there with one of our professors, we were all joking about it and being like, man, how could those scientists be talking about horoscopes like what are they talking about and my one professor happens to come over and say well hold up maybe you should think a little more scientifically about this rather than just writing off a hypothesis as automatically untestable now <laughs> that made us all pause and go whoa wait a minute are you who's our professor a brilliant fantastic educator and physicist who can talk circles around me in both astrophysics and Magic the Gathering. He's a fantastic Magic player too, <laughs> coincidentally. We're saying, are you serious? Do you really think that this could be real? And he says, well, why don't we make some more observations, right? Go and do some research about people born at different times of the year. So it turns out people born at different times of the year do have distinguishing factors that you know can be scientifically observed and hypotheses can be formed on them uh, for a whole swath of different things, such as uh, different potential birth circumstances, uh, such as conditions you could be born with. There's an entire study on professional sports players that uh, finds that most of them tend to be born in the first three months of the year. I think it's something like 36% of like, hockey players are born in the first quarter of the year, and only 14% of hockey players are born in the last quarter of the year, where you'd expect it to be 25 across the board as far as quarters of the year born in, right? So this kind of made me think, okay, claiming that the position of the sun and earth and the, the, you know, constellations behind the sun at the time of your birth. And honestly, that's not even entirely how it works. I don't know. <laughs> there's there's a, a whole distinction that I, I can't get into now about uh, the, the traditional horoscopes versus the modern ones because of the precession over the years of our orbit and how what was once our horoscope is no longer. To be honest, I'm still sometimes confused by that stuff too. I'm, I'm not great when it comes to the minutia of, of solar system physics. But anyway, maybe there is something to be said about people being born at different times of the year having shared qualities or similar aspects or, or something like that. So while the notion that it is the stars themselves are influencing your behavior or that you should use them for some sort of divination... I, you know, I was called out on the fact that I wrote off horoscopes as a method uh, of doing this, you know, just just quickly without thinking about it. And I was like, you know what? I actually like this. I think it is best to take a more thoughtful approach. And actually, I, I saw a really great video about this 
where the founder of CoStar, a very popular horoscope app, mentioned that she doesn't actually think it matters whether people believe it to be true or not. She thinks if people think it's true or they can actually use the stars to make predictions, she thinks that's great. But if they don't, she thinks that's also great. She frames it more as this is a way for us to share human experiences. And if it takes someone saying they're a Taurus to talk to their friend about the emotional trauma they've been going through recently, then isn't that a good thing, right? So I thought that was a really thoughtful approach to this. Overall, I would say I have I have gone way lighter on, on horoscopes. And actually, I've even used this as a, as a bridge into astronomy. As originally, some of the first astronomers were also astrologers. Because, you know, back in the ancient times, there wasn't a huge distinction. Eventually, it split a few thousand years ago. But I guess I have to take one of my classes to, to hear more about that. Well, yeah, that's a, a very interesting way to approach that. I, I really appreciate that professor's take on that. I think most people should do something approaching that with just about everything that they immediately write off. Like, if you haven't done the research to form an opinion on something based on, you know, actual data, probably don't form that opinion. But yeah, there's there's a whole lot more we could go into this. So basically what we're saying is tune into the new Draft Chaff sponsored astrology <laughs> podcast. No, I'm just kidding. But yeah, yeah, great question. And thanks for the detailed answer there, Ben. Of course, I'd, I'd love to continue this conversation in the Discord. I, I want to hear what all the, uh, the scientists listening think, because I know you're out there. I know there's a bunch of you. Chime in. Do you think this is a, a proper approach or is it still just too nonsensical to even really lend weight to? Yeah, I think there's a there's a dangerous distinction. I'm only going to talk about this for like another 30 seconds because I know we have an actual show to do here. But I think there's a dangerous distinction between like using something for the benefit of social interaction, like you were mentioning there um, that the, the founder of CoStar said, um, and then using it as something that you perceive to be truth. Because we have this thing in modern society where like anybody can have their own truth and that is objectively not what truth is. Mm. And so I don't I don't really think that it's healthy in terms of like I'm using this statement that some random person I've never met wrote based on what they believe the stars to align in a certain way to mean for me and anybody else who happened to be born in this set of months. And also because most of horoscopes are written so generically, they could apply to literally anybody. Yeah. That's um, true. But if you are using them, in a way that it is enabling you to have beneficial, healthy relationships with people, then more power to you. Just, I think it's dangerous when you start to look at these things as truth or, or, or as something that is like objectively a correct thing to perceive, if that makes sense. Yeah, I get what you're going for. One thing I do miss is the onions horoscope section. <laughs> if you want a good laugh, go check out your onion horoscope. I don't think they make them anymore, but just maybe go to your week from two years ago. <laughs> I don't think it matters too much. All right. On to Neon Dynasty first impressions. We're going to go over all of our first impressions of Neon Dynasty now that we've had, you know, roughly a week or so to adjust to the new format. Talk about things like what we like, what we dislike, pretty much everything in between and some interesting observations we found about this format in particular, and as Ben mentioned, a few things about engines. So Ben, first of all, like what, what are your initial thoughts on the format? What overall just kind of sum up what your experience with the format has been? All right, it's time for me to rant. A good rant. <laughs> Is there a name for a good rant? I don't know. I mean, rant, the word rant definitely has a negative connotation, but I don't think it innately means that it's a negative thing. All right, all right. The aesthetics of this set are perfect. They, they did it. You know, like I, I, if you had told me they were going to remake Kamigawa, my first thought would be, how racist is it going to be? <laughs> you know, like I, I think looking back um, just at, at 
kind of gaming culture in general, we don't always get it right when, you know, portraying non-white people and uh, their culture and other things, especially because the industry tends to be dominated by white people that are the ones making the games that tend to not be super sensitive to the actual creation of such things. As far as I have seen and through my knowledge, it seems like they did everything right. You know, which honestly, great on Wizards. I know they brought in uh, a lot of artists that they hadn't worked with before, a lot of creative de- designers and directors that they hadn't worked with to, to influence the story. They made a manga. They made an animated trailer that is probably the best thing Magic has ever made. Like the best non-card thing, <laughs> you know, the best cinematic or, or story. It's fantastic. There's a soundtrack with, with original songs inspired by the set by smaller creators that might not have gotten the chance. I, I saw one of my my favorite uh, YouTube musicians, uh, Amy Waters, who's I've followed for maybe like 15 years or so from, from when I just was like discovering musicians on YouTube, dropped the song on the Neon Dynasty soundtrack. Like, how sick is that? Just everything as far as aesthetics and everything surrounding it, I have found to be excellent. Yeah, I echo that sentiment 100%. I am not well-versed in Asian cultures or literature or art or any of those kinds of things. But given the outbursts I I read about and saw through the way they handled certain characters in Strixhaven to this is like night and day difference. And they really seem to have cared and put a lot of effort into making sure they did this right. Now, I would hope that's the case, right? It's an entire plane influenced by that those cultures. So I would hope they did it correctly, but they really seem to have gone all out to make sure that they did and that's amazing. My favorite part in terms of all the stuff you just described is those that set of alternate arts done entirely by Asian artists have yeah. all been incredible, especially those basic lands. I've talked about it a few times before already, but oh my goodness, those basic lands. Yeah. Representation isn't everything when it comes to our, our movement towards a socially just world, right? But it is something. <laughs> it's, it's a lot uh, when done right. And this is such a great example. I know in one of the videos they they talked about how they they even considered different weapons that are you know stereotypically portrayed in in uh, different science fiction works or or this kind of like neo Tokyo inspired aesthetic. And they said they they wanted to make sure that it was actually culturally relevant weaponry, <laughs> you know, like that they wouldn't use things from maybe uh, similar but unrelated cultures. Uh, because it wouldn't be realistic. And I was like, wow, they, they did their research. Like they, they, they tapped into people that were experts in history uh, to make a trading card game. And when you put that level of effort and care in, I think it really shows. Like you said, we've had our blunders in magic in the past where things have, even from you know an uninformed eye, we've been like, something's, something's off here. Like this is a little, <laughs> this is a little bad. But Honestly, this one, uh, props to Wizards and everyone that worked on the creative design team for this. Maybe we're missing something. Maybe, uh, as like you said, we're, we're not the most informed. Obviously, it's not our experience. But uh, if, if anyone out there knows of some things that could have been improved, curious to hear those in the Discord as well. But overall, I'd say this was pretty excellent. Yeah, I could go on for this kind of stuff for a little while. And we will in our upcoming Flavortown episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll have a lot more to say on this topic. But so we got we got your kind of opinion on just the, the set as a whole what have been your thoughts on the format as a whole so far in terms of the draft experience the gameplay experience i found that this format 
highly rewards crafting what I'm going to call an engine. In addition to high value cards like the sagas, the rares, the invoke cycle, that kind of stuff. But crafting an engine, I think, is very rewarding. A good analogy I can think of is that it's kind of like Legos. Sometimes in a core set, kind of the equivalent of taking a bunch of Legos out of the box and finding the instructions and just going piece by piece, right? Uh, you draft your removal, you drop, you draft some bombs, uh, you take some good mid-rangey creatures, right? Uh, or an aggressive format, you take some one drops or two drops. But it can also be fun to just take a bin. You've probably seen those like bins of Legos that have been accumulated from decades and they're all mixed together, all different colors, everything's all cool. There's who never who knows what you're gonna find in there, and you just dump them all out in front of you and go, all right make something cool. And I found this format to tend more towards that end of the spectrum than pretty much any we've seen in recent memory. This is skill intensive. You know, if you're brand new to Legos, you might just kind of be like, uh, <laughs> what do I do now? But if you know how the pieces fit together, if you know what tends to attach well to what, if you know how to build a car out of Legos already, then maybe you could say, okay, are the pieces here to build a car? Can I do that? Yes. Oh, that's pretty cool. Can I put rockets on the car and make it shoot fire out of it? Yeah. Oh, I can? Nice. And then you, your brain starts seeing what else you can do, what else you can do. Can I splash a fourth color, <laughs> right? I have found creating an engine to almost be this building process where you are taking these little pieces of micro synergy and weaving them all together into one powerful typically late game card engine. Uh, now there's exceptions to this. Uh, Ninjas is weirdly enough, I think the most aggressive deck in the format. Red white can you know beat down too, but even that's hampered by sometimes wanting to attack with only one creature to gain some kind of incremental value, which I haven't found to be the best. Another swing and a miss for, for red white, I guess. Yeah, that's a great analogy and a great way to, to put it. So far, you know, and like I mentioned, I've only done one draft, so I'm leaning on you for more of the experiential sort of pieces with this format. But from what I have seen and, and the kind of the vibes I'm getting, it does seem to be a bit weird in terms of that removal bit. And then, of course, the very linear, like, play my one drop, play my two drop, play my three drop, play my four, curving out kind of stuff that is like, just get a creature on the board and then it doesn't really do anything, isn't really a great way to go in this format. You kind of need those cards that are either... You're ninjutsuing something in to get an extra effect, or you have something sitting on the board, like the Dragon Spark Reactor, that's accruing value as you're continuing to play out your game plan that eventually can do something really cool. Or even just having vehicles to sit, sit around that, that can be crewed by your creatures that are no longer relevant. These things have really helped, I think, get, get decks ahead compared to the more linear sort of quote-unquote fair decks. Let's talk a little bit more about this, this engine notion. So first of all, some cards are engines by themselves. Reality Chip, Springleaf Avenger, Gloom Shrieker ask basically nothing of you besides cast me and and gain advantage. <coughs> Colossal Sky Turtle, Dockside Chef, and Tempered in Solitude, these each have some conditional aspects that require a bit more of you, but will still be pretty solid in virtually any deck that can cast them. Oni Cult Anvil, Tatsunari Toad Rider, the sisters, Yamazaki, each of them, the red and the white one, these require you to go a little bit deeper into your vector before you can start to reap the rewards of these engines. But when I say engine, I do ultimately kind of mean this card advantage that can get you into late game and make sure you can outvalue your opponent in the long run. Yeah, some, some cards are actually pretty solid, but like on their own, if you just evaluate the card, they're good. You'd expect them to work in just about any deck and you'd expect them to perform well. 
But if they don't fit into an engine in this format, they actually might be a little lackluster. You might find that they aren't doing exactly what you need them to. An example of this might be something like Cloud Steel Kirin and a lot of these red common removal spells that we were talking about before where they just, yeah, your one for one removal is doing what you wanted it to do, but does that actually matter as much in this format as it would in a different format? Doesn't seem like it. Mm-hmm. So here's a, a little quiz for your listener. Which of those would Dragon Spark Reactor fit into? Would you say that's uh, kind of one that asks nothing of you, asks a little bit, or asks you to be in a vector? Think, think it over for a second. Pause it. I'll just talk for a second. Say some things. I don't know. I, I think I would personally say that one requires you to be pretty deep into the vector, right? It, it requires you to be playing artifacts consistently, maybe copying them or uh, bringing them back or looping them with something like an Odi Cult Anvil. It's easier to describe things uh, in terms of vectors here. I think this is a great success of vector theory because... Colors don't matter too much. I've seen four-color value decks that are going super big with uh, Enchantress sub-themes or Artifact sub-themes. So when we talk about these vectors, we can be kind of broad and say, yeah, sure, maybe you are using this, this, uh, these, these blue cards with these red and black cards. Uh, and these all kind of fit together. You can draw from multiple colors to build your engine. My favorite engine so far in this format, I found Odi Cult Anvil to be one that stands pretty well on its own, but when you combine it with Tempered and Solitude, now Odi Cult Anvil, again, that's the uh, black-red signpost uncommon. When you sack an artifact, uh, rather, when an artifact leaves the battlefield under your control during this turn, you get a 1-1 artifact, and you can tap it, sacrifice an artifact to drain your opponent. Uh, You can combine that with Tempered and Solitude, which is one in red for an enchantment, and it says when a creature you control attacks alone, Exile the top card of your library, and you can play it this turn. So the way this works, if you can get that first 1-1 and attack with it, doesn't matter if your opponent blocks it, just sack it to the Oni Cold Anvil and make another one. And it doesn't really matter how the combat went, you drew your card. So this essentially becomes, with these two combined, just draw a free card every turn, which is very powerful. And you're, of course, draining your opponent out as you're doing this. It's kind of a cat oven package by itself. Geothermal Kami and Sagas are obviously great, getting to pick it up. And the three life that you gain off the Kami, the, the old hot tub, pretty good. Uh, I don't know what kind of spa you're, you're signed up for, but uh, I hope it's like the, the Geothermal Kami. Yeah, this is actually, you know, a trend we've been seeing for a little while now, at least the last year, maybe even a little longer, that I've really enjoyed the Magic Design team adding. And that is all of this incidental life gain that actually ends up mattering. We've talked yeah. about in the past, like certain cards that are just unplayable where they might just be like three mana gain 10 life or something. And they, they, they tend to not really matter. Mm-hmm. But in these recent formats, even just three life here or three life there tacked onto a card that's already doing something you want it to do has been really beneficial. Yeah, three mana is a little bit of an aside, but three mana gain X life at instant speed in white. What does X have to be equal to for you to put that in a limited deck? Yeah, I would probably say like 20. 15, 20. Yeah, it's got to be <laughs> yeah. pretty high. Yeah. But when you have a deck that throughout your game can gain you somewhere from 10 to 15 to maybe even 20 life, maybe through equipping a huge life linker or something like that, then you are kind of getting some value out of just that life gain itself if you can equate life gain to a card eventually. Well, it's <laughs> interesting because way. cards like Geothermal Kami and, and similar cards say gain three life on them but they actually gain you a lot more than that, right? It's a creature that can block. It can stop opponents' creatures from attacking just because that makes their attacks no longer any good. It can Mm. bounce a a saga that maybe can destroy an opponent's creature or it itself becomes a creature. Like, there are a lot of ways that 
a card like geothermal geothermal kami actually earns you much more than three life even though it just says it gains three life yeah geothermal kami to bounce back a gloom shrieker to replay it and get back another geothermal kami that you can use to pick up the gloom shrieker then trade off the geothermal kami and get it back there's some gross late game stuff you can do if you have the tools in your deck the, the lego pieces that you need to build it uh, another nice little synergy here, ninjas and sagas. This is where Okiba Reckoner Raid and Life of Toshiro in particular are nuts. If you get to rebuy these, Life of Toshiro is just, you know, I, I pray for my opponent if they have one toughness creatures with, with a Life of Toshiro going. When, when you get your 2-1 just nuked by this, it, it feels like an afterthought. It's like, oh yeah, by, by the way, your 2-1 that you spent two mana with and a card, it incidentally dies and I'm not even to the best part of this yet. <laughs> like, uh, I'm still like, I'm going to pump my lifelinker next turn. And then I got a creature off of this. It can be like a three for one sometimes. And then if you get to buy it back, oh man, like what, what's even happening? Okiba Reckon Raid also awesome. Yeah, I've noticed a lot of the cards in this format that I think I generally would overlook things that have some form of rebirth effect tacked onto them mm-hmm. or like raise dead effect tacked onto them. I found to be like quite a bit higher on than I usually would be. I actually like where ble- where black green is is positioned in this format, and we haven't really been able yeah. to say that for a while. <laughs> yeah, it's been a long time. But a lot of these like return target creatures to your hand, or even some of the ones, obviously the ones that return to the battlefield are pretty solid. But even the ones that return to your hand have been really good because most of them hit enchantments, which could be just an aura or a saga, but could also be a creature. Like they're very flexible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, something like Season of Renewal, the three mana green instant that can get back a creature and an enchantment. When you look at your graveyard, it's not hard to get two good things back. Maybe you traded off a Fang, uh, the, the one mana, one one death toucher enchantment. You can get back that and something big, or you get back a, a removal spell enchantment or a saga and then a other non, like an artifact creature. You, you can do all sorts of nonsense with this. Now, my favorite engine piece, my favorite Lego piece in this set, Containment Construct. This card has just been such a blast to play. I have had decks with two of these and then three Modern Age, the saga that says uh, draw a card and discard a card. Containment Construct says if you would discard a card, you can instead exile it and play it this turn. Play, not cast. So you heard me right. You could go turn two Containment Construct, turn three Modern Age, draw, discard a land, and then just play the land and pass. That turned your loot effect into a straight up draw a card effect. (laughs) If you keep doing this, now if you get to attack with a Modern Age and then Moon Circuit Hacker it back and then replay it and then discard another land and play that and then, oh, it's just such good value. These, this, this grindy late game engine that can really just overwhelm your opponent. They can try to stop you. But what are they going to do? Spend their, their high pick removal spell on a two mana two one? <laughs> like, that also feels kind of bad. That's, that's something I've noticed this format is also indicative of. All of the targets that you want to kill with your removal are too bad to want to kill them with your removal. <laughs> like, you never actually want to kill any of the stuff you need to kill when you need to kill it. Because yeah. it's like, this is a yeah. two mana two one that I'm spending my premium removal on. What am I doing with my life? But it, you need I, to. It, and I think actually you, I mean, I love the analogy of the Legos, but the whole time you're describing these pieces working together, I'm thinking of like gears and a watch moving or yeah. like a clock and like <laughs> they're just little bits. Line. Yeah. Right. Little bits of these gears are just ticking and that gear ticking takes another gear that enables another gear to move. And it's all just kind of working in concert. The difference is 
one of those pieces falling out of it doesn't actually break anything up really because <laughs> you just replace it with yeah. something else because it's not actually like any of these things are particularly linchpins. They all just kind of work very nicely together with everything else going on in your deck. Yeah, if your opponent kills your containment construct, you still have a modern age going. You're still looting. You're still doing the good stuff. Yeah, you don't get as insane value, but you know, loop back into another one or loop back in a way to get it back from your graveyard. I have spent a removal spell on a flipped Okiva Reckoner raid. Do you know how embarrassing that is? <laughs> like, sometimes you're just about to die to it, and then they're like, oh, good, it's in my graveyard. Now I can rebuy it and just cast it again. Some other little notes. Containment Construct also works with the Koi uh, and uh, just channeling something. When you channel, you're discarding the card. It's very rare that you can activate the channel ability and cast the card in the same turn, but if you're on, like, 12 mana, you can usually do both. Yeah, and green also has plenty of ways to ramp with the you know the three mana card that channels. Either way, you're gonna get uh, a little bit of ramp out of that. There's the other land, the enchantment that enchants lands that enables you to tap for two mana of any color. You know, you've got different ways to ramp in this format as well, so you could try to take advantage of that there. Now, not all Legos or not all watch pieces or not all cards are created equal in this engine. I found Virus Beetle and Spirited Companion to be the grease <laughs> that kind of keeps these, these engines going. They're fantastic. Uh, they make sure that you have the bodies, uh, the fuel that you need to keep going, and they're just fine on their own. If you think of some like extreme case analysis here, Win is a 2-mana 1-1 one, one at its best. Early, when it can like tread off with another creature, right? With like a 2-mana a 2-1 two two or something like that. Yeah. I would say that it's best when it's a card by itself. Now, if you staple on an ETB ability where you draw a card or your opponent discards a card or the two mana one one has a relevant type, now you are really getting a two for one out of it, but a meaningful two for one. If your one one is just being used to chump block or it's outclassed by everything on the board, then it was not really a two for one. It's maybe like a two and a third for one, right? But when Virus Beetle is the key to turning on your Oni Cult Anvil or Spirited Companion is the, the key extra enchantment to make your, I don't know, whatever the, the big 4-4 four, four flyer cost that one cheaper, then you're just happy to have that body in play. And then they're relevant cards. And then, sure, trade them off or chump with them once you've kind of gotten more value off. But maybe you can suit it up or use Life of Michiko to like uh, pump it or, or something like that. Yeah, I've seen like plenty of decks also love to use the companion into like crew of flying suit, you know, the, the dragonfly suit and off to the races. And at that point, your enchantment creature is an enchantment creature that's doing its thing that you need it to do because it's an enchantment. It's already mm -hmm. drawn you the card, so you're up a card, or I guess par at parity on cards that way. And then it's make doing something actually relevant for combat. It's like these little these little two two mana one ones are doing a lot more than the typical two mana one one. Yeah, I am hoping to have many of these two in my sealed pool this weekend uh it, honestly these are some of the cards that you really just need to make sure these enchantment artifact or in black white the both deck to make sure they kind of work another awesome aspect of this format is that splashing has seemed actually reasonable like if if not reasonable, it seems easy. I mean, there are a lot of cards that enable splashing in this format. You've got all the awesome gain lands, which just do work anyway. I mean, the gain one is arguably relevant in this format, but they're really easy to pick up. You have the cool colorless artifacts in Ecologist Terrarium and the network terminal that can also, you know, generate you mana and kind of get your, your fixing. If they're not ramping you, they're at least getting you fixing. You've got cards like the artifact creature in black, I think it's a 1-4 for 3, that taps to create treasures if you've had things die this turn. Not even you, if anything's died this turn. Those are pretty solid. 
Now, the thing I will say is for decks that are relying on these as their game plan, you do have to be pretty careful to be able to protect yourself before you start trying to turn this stuff on because some decks will run you over while you're trying to fiddle around with getting your mana base sorted. So keep that in mind when you're doing this. But I'm in the middle of playing a deck right now that is black-green and focuses a lot on ramp and it has done pretty well so far. Yeah, weirdly enough, Ninjas is one of the more punishing decks in the format. You don't often think of blue-black as a very aggressive strategy, but particularly because these ninjas care about dealing combat damage, if one of those gets in, the one that makes treasure or something like that, it can start to snowball out of control pretty quickly. For sure. Now let's talk about some key vectors in this set. Again, not color pairs. Let's talk about vectors. This is where vector theory really comes through. I think we kind of nailed this one. Artifact vector tends to be in the Grixis colors. Uh, I found red to be the key. I, I think red and then blue, they're all honestly about the same. I think red just pulls ahead by a little bit, but it's pretty close. Maybe blue is, is more important. I don't know. I just got to play with it more. I found red to be pretty good. Uh, cards like Patchwork Automaton and Circuit Mender, these can go very early. These are super high picks, <laughs> weirdly enough, right? Iron Apprentice works well in the black red version in particular uh, with multiple instant speed sack outlets. Kami of Industry has some very fun combos. And I've found that you can really be in any of these combinations. You can say start off black red and then splash for a late game blue card or start off blue red and splash for like a mid to late game black card. I had almost a straight up blue red deck where I was splashing for two Oni Cult Anvils and it was awesome. Next up, the Enchantment Vector. Fits into the Bant colors best, but white and green are the keys. You can get into black a little bit here, too. Tends to have big swings rather than, you know, traditional aggro uh, that you sometimes see with, with Enchantress. Uh, and Enchantress tends to go big, but sometimes, I, I guess, in, like, Theros, we had the more aggressive green-white versions. Spirited Companion, Season of Renewal, Golden Tail Disciple, all pretty great here. Gaining life is particularly good in this deck. It gives you time to build up your real overwhelming synergies. Life of, I think it's Michiko's Reign, is it? Um, the the two mana enchantment. That thing can give plus like five, plus five to a life linker, uh, such as the Golden Tail Disciple. It gets really scary. Now, what about both? <laughs> if you have, if you want to tap into both vectors. Weirdly enough, I would say both is a vector direction, and black is the key color here. Kami of Terrible Secrets is a banger. Now, I, I may have called it Siege Rhino at one point, <laughs> but because, I mean, you know, if there was, if there was a, you would play a card that says target opponent loses four life, you gain two life. Like, people have played worse cards than that. I don't know, that, that, that's functionally what you're replacing with a card on Kami of Terrible Secrets. That and a few power and toughness, but look, let's not read too much into this. <laughs> Yeah, I think uh, I think Kami of Terrible Secrets is interesting because it really, in my experience, is only it only fits in this vector. Like if you try to put it in yeah. pretty much any other vector, it's just not going to do what you need it to do. It feels so bad when it's offline. You really do want to focus on cards like the Companion, the Virus Beetle, Twisted Embrace, Mukatai Ambusher, Okiba Reckoner Raid. These kind of solid black cards. User life total as a resource. You need both. Like you really need both to make sure this is online. I have. <laughs> Made the embarrassing, unfortunate plays of trading off my my like two two enchantment creature or two two artifact creature only to top deck Kami of Terrible Secrets the next turn and be like, whoops, now I only have one, <laughs> and uh, it, it was a waste. I should have used my life total as a little bit more of a research. Uh, I should have used my life total as a little bit more of a resource. I played like a coward, and I deserved it for not getting to draw my card and gain my life. Yeah, this this vector more than any we've seen in quite a while has that sort of that sort of feeling or mentality happen quite a lot like 
in my experience, at least, and from reading a lot of these cards, the cards that you really want in this deck are just borderline unplayable in when they're offline. They go from being like really good yeah. online to basically unplayable offline. So really pay attention to keeping them online when you can, because if they're not, you're probably not having a good time. We can talk about the ninja vector a little bit. This is a little bit tighter of a vector, whereas the previous ones you tend to splash with other colors or maybe get creative with your dual lands. This is the aggressive deck in the format from what I found, and that means it kind of wants to get on board early. Jam some one drops, jam some two drops, particularly Okiba Reckoner Raid, Moon Circuit Hacker, Life of Toshiro, and Modern Era are both fantastic sagas. It should be clear by now that sagas are just really good in this set. The fact that they give you that incremental advantage, and there's so many ways to buy them back in the creation of your engine that you're just going to outvalue your opponent with all these little scries and life gains and such. Moonsnare Specialist uh, in particular has been, been strong as well. Turns out Mana War, pretty good card. Indeed. And then lastly, we have this five, well, multicolor good stuff, shall we call it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, essentially, you're just jamming everything together in one deck and picking up all the fixing you can. We mentioned it early on, right? We talked about it in our format breakdown as potentially being a thing that can happen. Seems yeah. like it's a thing that can happen. I haven't seen it go off yet. And I haven't seen any like remarkable versions of it, but I think I think the best is yet to come with this with this vector. So you're telling me you haven't had the misfortune of getting Kami Ward? I have not, <laughs> though I have heard the tales of yeah, those who it, have. Uh, it's not a fun way to lose. <laughs> it's it's a pretty embarrassing way to go down, but very cool when it happens. Uh, and I hope to do it myself. Now you might notice but. that there were a couple of vectors that we haven't mentioned, and that's because there are well. A couple that don't quite, let's just, shall we say, the cream didn't rise to the top kind of thing. Like, these are not uh, where you necessarily want to be. Red-white attacking with one creature. Tempered in Solitude, I found to be the best card in this archetype, as it can break out and just be solid in other red decks. But overall, I just haven't really been impressed. These cards are, like, adding stats or maybe reducing a cost. But... It, it just doesn't build an engine in the same way that some of these other decks build this like super card advantage. Sure, if you have a Tempered in Solitude on turn two, then you're probably going to be able to pop off and your deck is going to look pretty good. But when you don't draw that Tempered in Solitude, you're kind of doing that thing that Zach mentioned earlier where you're just playing a two drop and then playing a three drop, then playing a four drop. Your opponent is like 10 cards deeper into their library and they've got stocked graveyard and they have a late game game plan in place. You're going to lose. <laughs> Yeah, you kind of need like a specific specific cards in this deck as well. Like, obviously, stacking a bunch of cool effects on top of one creature is valuable, but if they're not meaningful effects, then it also it doesn't really matter. So mm. the the card that you're attacking with needs to really be applying pressure, and I don't think it quite does the job here. Now modified, also not the most impressive vector. I don't have a ton of experience with this one. I did have a what I thought would be a really sick modified deck. I had like two Goro Goro and a bunch of like modified stuff that cared about modify. I had a ton of ways to modify things. Seemed just kind of fine, probably in the bottom 50% of decks in the format, just red green, but uh, probably closer to the middle of the of the 10 traditional color pairs. I don't know. Modified is kind of a nice benefit all decks can use. Like that modified as an ability is just something that everyone kind of wants rather than a strict vector unto itself. It kind of how like training ended up playing out, where training was, you know, you were happy to put some training cards in your deck, but if you were building a training deck, you were like, eh, this isn't really as tight as I want it to be. Yeah, I'm, I'm not convinced that Modified is actually its own vector. I'm still mm -hmm. on the fence about that. I, I tend to think of it more as just like, well, 
kind of as its namesake, something that modifies pre-existing vectors. So like mm. you're happy to add cards to a given vector that care about modified or will modify, but it's not what your deck's built around. I think that's kind of the way to approach it. But, you know, prove me wrong. Somebody throw something in the Discord of an amazing modif- like a deck that is just about the modified thing. Maybe the best version of red-green in this format is some sort of late-game Enchantress thing. Problem is red and green, I'm pretty sure what they said on the their official release from Wizards was that red is like the super artifact deck and green is the super enchantment deck. But without the black value payoffs like Kami of Terrible Secrets to pay you off for being in both artifacts and enchantments, you just end up on, well, you end up with one half of your deck pointing one vector direction and the other pointing the other vector direction. There's enchantments in red and there's, you have a few artifacts in green, but Ultimately, these two colors just don't seem to play very well together. Encounters being their solution, uh, it's just not an engine like some of these other decks can make where you're you're getting this absurd card advantage or, or value or late game rebuys thanks to ninjas or, or reanimation or whatever. So that's all the vectors we had planned. I did want to add one little section here that we didn't actually put in the show notes. And let's take Ooh. a look at a quick a, lo- a quick look at top five common and uncommons. Uh, for oh, game, definitely. Games played win rate. So curious. Have you looked at these yet, Ben? I have not looked at the data myself, but I have a funny feeling I know what some of them are going to be. So I'm since you haven't looked, I would like your guesses. What do you think the top five commons are on game play, games played win rate? I'm going to say Okiba Reckonerate has to be in there. Even though it's not great, I feel like Voltage Surge could be. Definitely going to put Network Disruptor. Very strong one drop in blue. Bang of Shigeki, maybe? I think I need one more, right? One more. I want it to be modern age, but I'd probably end up going with the companion or virus beetle. All right. So you got three of the five. (laughs) Oh, man. Nice. Nice. What did I get? So in first place here with games played win rate, Okiba of Reckoner Raid with 58.1% win rate. Second with a 57.6% win rate, virus beetle. Nice. Nice. And then third, fourth and fifth are all 10th of a percentage point away from each other and actually f- third and fourth are tied at mm. 57.1%. And so in third is Twisted Embrace, the four mana enchantment aura that destroys creatures. Oh, how about that? In fourth place, Fang of Shigeki. And in fifth place, Kami of Terrible Secrets. Really? Wow. Oh, man. So it's not just me. Black is good in this format. I mean, anyone could have told me Okiba Reckonerate and Twisted Embrace were going to be up near the top, but... I guess I kind of forgot about Twisted Embrace. Yeah, really, I I, I, I guess Black is just where you want to be in this format. How about that? Yeah, Pretty what's cool. also surprising to me, um, I will say Modern Age is in the top 10, and mm. number 6th is Imperial Oath. That's the 5 and a white sorcery at common that creates 3 2, two Samurais and Scries 3. That's surprising to me. I would not expect to see that in, the, in number 6 here. It's still early in the format, but... It's actually tied with Kami for, for fifth, I guess. Yeah, so I'm going to have to start jamming some more Obzon decks. <laughs> I don't need much of an excuse not to play red-blue. And then in our uncommons, I'm not going to make you guess for these, but we have at 58.8% games played win rate, Life of Toshiro Umazawa, followed by Kapatek Wrecker, the yeah, two-mana 1-3 tur- Ninja Turtle, Blossom Prancer in third, hmm. Buseju Reaches Skyward in fourth, and Circuit Mender in fifth. Wow. So. I'm seeing a very strong trend amongst commons and uncommons, both that black green seems to be the deck. Are you, you telling be me in. black green is back? Oh man. Sounds like we're Say back. Say no more. Say no more. If it's time for me to, I, I don't know. I've, I've felt this, this poll, like maybe it's, maybe it's time, but 
now that the data backs it up, I, I guess it's time for me to go all in. Seems like time it does. Break so out the old mid-range mindset. Anyway, I want to shout out some of the wacky stuff that I've I've done in this format. I picked up a gloom shrieker with a ninja. It just feels illegal. <laughs> like it feels like you shouldn't be allowed to do this. I had an opponent rip an Akiba Reckonerate off the top of their library to kill me from two life. There was just nothing I could do. Wow. I did not have a single piece of removal. I had stabilized too. It just felt so bad. Uh, and it came down. I went to one. I untap. I look at my hand. I look at my whole deck list and there's not a card that can save me. <laughs> oh, that's. I guess I should have had a hot tub commie in my deck, right? Jin Gitaxius destroyed me multiple times in the same evening using two different decks. It was, it was very unfortunate. When we first read this card, it doesn't actually counter creatures. It doesn't counter the first creature you cast each turn, right? To which most people will be like, all right, so at least you can keep building out a board against it. It doesn't have flying or anything. But what happens when most of your artifacts or what happens when most of your creatures are artifacts or enchantments? Then all of a sudden, it does counter the first creature you play each turn. I mean, how many non-artifact or enchantment creatures are really worth playing? I mean, clearly, Kami of Terrible Secrets, but pretty much all the rest of the ones that you just read off were, <laughs> were artifact or enchantment creatures, right? Yeah, it does seem that way. Pretty much. Yeah, pretty much all of them are except that Kami. Yeah. I, I got to live your dream. I had double invoke the winds, double behold the unspeakable kind of mono blue five drop nonsense in one of my decks uh came very close to a trophy with it painfully close but ran into some mana issues that <laughs> I, I think i flew a little too close to the sun on that one anyway and i guess i deserved it containment construct i will genuinely say is one of the most fun cards we've had unlimited in a really long time i've seen some people misplaying with it i saw someone have two koi the three three that when an artifact comes in you can draw a card and discard a card so my opponent had two koi out, top deck containment construct, and then declined to loot because I guess they thought it would just, you know, they, there was no point in looting. I guess they didn't know, realize it was functionally a draw two <laughs> for them. But uh, that might need uh, to be that, a draft shaft cube inclusion. Honestly, if we can make it happen, I would love that. Experimental synthesizer triggers off any sack. Have some fun with that. And I did actually get to pull off the multi ninja bounce little little brain games. I ninjutsued in a moon snare specialist. I got to ninjutsu in a moon snare specialist to bounce one of my opponent's creatures, you know, getting a little bit of a discount, and then re ninjaed back in a moon circuit hacker to profit off of the damage effect. So you wait, can wait, do some pretty so wacky. Let me see if I if I catch what you actually mean there. So you, yeah. you attack with a creature, any creature, uh, it doesn't get blocked. Yeah. You ninjutsu in the Moonsnare Specialist. Then before yes. damage, you ninjutsu in something else, bouncing yes. the Specialist again. That's awesome. I love that. How sick is that? Leapfrog anybody? You, you would, Holy. Uh, you would not expect to see me doing tricky blue timing stack stuff, but uh, <laughs> look, when value is on the table. I'm uh, so proud uh, of you. <laughs> there's nothing I won't do. Awesome. Well, that does it for us this week. Thanks so much for hanging out with us and listening. Hopefully you got something out of this. We really enjoy these like first impression shows and kind of getting to chat about the format. Ben and I don't typically talk to each other about the format before we do these shows. So it's nice to kind of get each other's input here. If you're interested in giving your own input or getting the rest of the community's input, check out our discord. You can find the link to that in our episode description as well as on the Twitter page. And if you want to support the show directly, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash draft chaff pod. Again, we really appreciate all of you who have been continuing to support us 
each and every week. We also moved our show. We're no longer hosting on Podbean. We are hosting on Anchor, and that should provide some interesting upside for our Spotify listeners. Anybody who listens on Spotify, you might end up seeing some cool new stuff in the future. Not really going to talk about that too much here, uh, but Spoilers. I did want to throw out there that you can rate on Spotify now. You can give like podcast stars and stuff, so definitely go give us reviews and ratings and stuff if you're interested in that sort of thing. It helps us out a lot, so... We would love that on any other platforms that you're listening to the show. Feel free to do so as well. We really, really appreciate any of that kind of feedback as well. And if you want to reach out to us on social media, you can find us both on Twitter. Uh, ben is at Betafish1. I am Zach at Zach E. Hackett. And the show is at DraftChaffPod. We also started an Instagram. So you can find us on Instagram now at DraftChaff. And that's, yeah, that's, that's going to be it. We'll probably try to do some fancy shenanigans over there on Instagram as well. Well, that's it. Talk to you next week. See you later. So a few little side notes here. You mentioned that people can now rate us on Spotify. We highly encourage everyone to rate us, you know, honestly and genuinely what you believe us to be. As uh, unless long as that that's is five stars. Five, unless it's not a five. <laughs> In which case, uh, lie <laughs> and, and uh, just rate us five. Um, for those that are wondering, I'm a Pisces. So perhaps you might say it's in my nature to, oh, I, I don't even, I don't even know what, what Pisces means, do I. <laughs> to, to be honest. Uh, I, I always did think it was kind of funny though, that my name is Ben Fisher and, you're and Pisces. you know, Fisher, Pisces. Well, your last um, name came to you based on the time of year that you were born. So <laughs> yeah, something like that. Right. Uh, I also do love the ocean and I love swimming and, and all that. So perhaps there's some, some greater nonsense here. Um, Last but not least, we have the arena open this weekend. What are you hoping to open most? Um, six packs. I'm not even sure I'm going to get to do it. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I would like to get to do it in the first place, but um, hopefully I can. Uh, honestly, any of the walkers would be really cool. They're they're all pretty yeah. much so- they're they're all solid this time around. There are often some planeswalkers that you really just don't care to open in these sorts of things. This time around, I'll open any of them. They're all good. Any of the Mythic Dragons, all really, really good. I'll take any of them. Um, so I, I'm I'm pretty open. I guess what I'm hoping not... The easier question to answer is what I'm hoping not to open, and that is probably red-white stuffs. Mm, just don't really yeah. care to play it. I just want some like good green-black value and maybe splash some blue stuff in there and give me a solid little Sultai pool. Yeah. Uh, I'd echo that. There's a few cards that I haven't really gotten to try out fully yet. I haven't gotten to pop off with Mech Titan Core, although it, it seems pretty sweet. I've seen some screenshots of it. Eater of Virtue has seemed pretty cool. The one mana, equip one equipment, and uh, gives plus two plus zero. Oh. When a creature dies that's equipped to, exile it, and then that the the equipment grants the abilities of the creature that died with it. Really cool. I had someone put it on a, on a Lizard Blades. And mm. I had to kill the lizard blades at one point. I mean, you, you can't just let it sit there. <laughs> it's right. it's a it's a 3-1 double strike. I had to kill it, and then the equipped creature got double strike. Then they put it on a flyer. I was like, what am I supposed to do? Kill the flyer? <laughs> and, and then it make it like a plus 2, plus 0 oh, double strike flying equipment? Uh, I'd love to get to try that one out. That could really power up the red decks and the, and the white decks if it could. And then, uh, I don't know, just some, some good fixing. I'd love to open some dual lands and uh, a mythic dragon here, too.